0: the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. These days, it's pretty common for all of us to automatically decry the role technology plays in our lives. I mean, it was common prior to March of 2020, but after 19 months of living a lot of our lives online, for work, school, and even socializing, The assumption that in-person is better than virtual is almost universal. What if, though, that assumption leaves out a lot of nuance? For some folks, accessing grief support virtually works just as well or even better for them. Virtual support, which can mean a lot of different things, is sometimes more accessible for those with chronic health conditions, those with obstacles to transportation, or those who work in fields with non-traditional hours, or a lack of flexibility with taking time off. This is the reality that Reed Peterson was thinking about when he created Grief Refuge, an app designed to provide daily grief support at any time and from anywhere. Users can listen to meditative audio musings, read stories from others, engage with journaling prompts, and for those who love data and numbers, the app gives you a way to track your grief process. The best part about an app for grief support, you can turn to it at 3 a.m. when even though your best friend told you, call me anytime, it just feels like too much to actually do that. Reed first came to this work as a grief companion after his stepfather Warren died in 2011. In supporting his mom and witnessing his own grief, Reed realized that this was work he needed and wanted to do. Reed obtained a master's degree in transpersonal psychology and trained with Dr. Alan Wolfelt at the Center for Loss and Life Transition. Prior to his stepfather's death, Reed's biological father, with whom he had a very strained relationship, also died. These two very different experiences of grief inform a lot of what Reed brings to his work as a grief companion and content creator for the app Grief Refuge. And listeners, just a heads up that Reed's father died of suicide, and he describes the death in some detail. If you'd like to skip that part, it's around minute, 10, and 30 seconds. If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. You can text HELLO to 741-741 or call the 24-7 National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Okay, here's my conversation with Reed. Reed, thank you so much for joining me for Grief Out Loud today. I'm excited for our conversation.
1: Well, Jana, as I mentioned earlier, you're one of my heroes. So I'm lucky to be talking to you.
0: So let's start with what drew you to doing this work, to being in a role of supporting those who are in, who are in grief.
1: Well, I guess the first thought that comes to mind is I was a pretty strong and present companion to my mom after she lost her husband to 35 years it just felt like deeply sad and there was a lot of guilt in my experience because uh, my mom is in the minneapolis minnesota area and at the time of Warren, my stepfather's death i was and still am in santa barbara california so it was a big physical distance and so a lot of evenings i would call my mom because uh, of her five children, I'm, I'm the only one who doesn't have my own children, so I was more available. And so I talked to her during the evenings because that's when she felt the loneliest. I would be present to a lot of her grief and a lot of her sadness. And then also realize like I could balance my own grief because when Warren died, it actually hit me a lot harder than I expected. Because 10 years earlier, my biological father died and um, I dealt with some grief and felt a lot of relief because my my biological father's life was a life of struggle. But then Warren dying, I was like, whoa, I'm feeling a lot more sorrow than I would have ever expected because I thought, oh, I've, I've been here before. I've done this. I'm good. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I wasn't. Um, But then talking to my mom a lot, I was like, there's a lot of meaning for this that evolved into pursuing some trainings. Um, Previously, I had a master's degree in psychology, but I didn't really study grief as a, a concentration. I more was focused on transformation. I started thinking about my training and a lot of my goals when I was a younger adult and also recognizing that. I had a strong sensitivity and I could probably utilize that as a strength in in supporting other people. I said, okay, it's time for some grief training. (laughs) And I, I got um, some training with a a great program called the um, center for loss and life transition and started companioning people.
0: You know, I know when I was doing some research for this interview, I read a piece that you wrote about your dad and his death, your biological dad. And I was really struck by when you mentioned that you have continued to get to know him after his death. And I wondered if you could share a little bit about that, because that is something that I do hear from people who they just feel so disappointed that they don't get to know their person any more than they feel like they did up until the day they died. And so I appreciated this, this concept of like, there's a way to conti- not only continue the relationship, but to continue the unfolding of knowing about that person.
1: I'm happy to share more and I appreciate you asking. And it's a tough one. <laughs> it's a tough one to speak to and tackle uh, because they obviously their physical presence is no longer here. So I'll share a little bit of background. My mom and my dad, they divorced when I was very young. I was three. And so I have no memory of living with my dad. However, I do remember uh, he only lived about five miles away in the house that I grew up in. And uh, through the divorce settlement, there was visitation rights. So my dad would take my older sister, myself, and my younger brother to go do activities like go putt-putt golf or, I don't know, maybe go see a movie or something. And as a sensitive person, I would feel really uncomfortable because it almost felt like here was this stranger in my life that I was supposed to, you know, feel loved from him and have love for him. But not really know or understand who this man is. Uh, He was a very defensive person. He he had an alcohol problem. He was an alcoholic. He also was served in the Vietnam War. He'd be the first to tell you that that really messed him up. And so he struggled with post-traumatic stress. As I grew up and started to become a man myself, I would spend more time with him one of our things was that with my dad is we would go try new restaurants. Fortunately, he was interested in knowing about my life because at the time, you know, I was like in college and learning and, you know, dating and whatever. But, um, when, whenever I, you know, I'd reciprocate, I'd want to know about his life too. And, um, what I learned was that my dad was such a great complainer. Like, um, he just really soaked up the negativity of everything, and he voiced it. And uh, being from Minnesota, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a professional football team there, and this football team has made the Super Bowl like four times, and they've never won. And so there's like this curse on the Minnesota Vikings or something. And my dad, being a huge football fan and fan of this team, would always talk about you know the players and how they're just going to choke and everything. And, and I I mean, I look back and laugh at it now, but like he would speak with such intensity. I'd be like, why, why is he so attached to this? These stories and these examples, you know, help you understand that. Like I kind of had no clue where this guy was coming from emotionally. He was the type of person too, where he never hugged me. He would shake my hand. And so, you know, I don't know if that was him personally, or if that was cultural norms, um, being from the Midwest. I continued to like, have this, like, I'm getting to know you, but you also feel like a stranger to me type of relationship. And then he died in 2006. It was a really tragic experience of actually what happened because These days I actually say he died by suicide, but it took me a long time to say that because uh, the circumstances of what happened was that like he was severely intoxicated and my dad suffered from flashbacks from Vietnam. The uh, death certificate shows that he died from a subdural hematoma. And what had happened was he severed uh, his cervical spine and how he did that was in his own home, he bull-charged, bull-rushed one of the hallway walls and hit the top of his head on it. And he was completely alone when he did this. And my brother later found him a couple of days later. But when he died, I was just like, I remember my first reaction when I heard the news. I was I was just like, you son of a bitch, you did it. Like, I, I was preparing for that experience for most of my adult life to that point. It was like, when, when is my dad going to give up on life? When is he going to do it? And I kind of intuitively knew that somehow, some way, he would kill himself. And he did. And he was only 56 years old when he did that. I felt actually a lot of relief when he first died because I said to myself, this is where his suffering ends and he's in a better place. You know, a lot of these cliche terms that a lot of people in grief out loud and Dougie center hear, and it's hard to hear. But for me at that time, that was really authentic for me. I was like genuinely relieved that, In his life, he didn't suffer anymore. And then throughout the years, I was like, oh, a lot of that relief, you know, has kind of worn off. And now I'm really starting to miss him, you know, really starting to miss a lot of that negativity, you know, and really, you know, some, uh, there'd be some recent Vikings game where yeah, they would lose. <laughs> and, and, you know, where's my dad to let me know all about it, play by play? <laughs> <laughs> you know, with, um, with what's happened, you know, so much in our world in the last two years. Wow, what would my dad say <laughs> about all of it? Because he would sure have a mouthful. He would trust me to be his platform. The relief transformed into a lot of the missing and now at the time of our recording, it's 15 plus years since he passed. I'm, I am actually in what I would call a phase of redefining our relationship. When I look at my dad now, oh, by the way, this may sound a little bit woo-woo, but I actually think of my dad whenever I hear a crow make noise. And I don't know what happened, but at the time he died, I had asked him, I asked his his spirit I said dad will you let me know you're doing okay through the form of a crow every now and then so if I go for a walk and there's a crow sitting on a telephone wire just humming along you know shouting to the rooftops I look up and I just I start thinking of my dad and I start talking to him and just connect with him
0: That seems perfect because crows to me are also professional complainers. Like if there was a complaining bird, sometimes (laughs) when I listen to a crow, I'm like, oh my gosh, you have a lot to say and you're not happy about any of it.
1: And they can be loud. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I often think about a lot of the past now. And when the memories surface, and when I used to associate a lot of negativity or pain uh, like emotional pain for me of not feeling close to my dad I now take a moment to pause and I think about okay what what can I you know like how can I take a wider lens or how can I take a wider perspective into that memory and you know is there something that I may have missed and so for example like one of the things that really stand out is like, like I said, my dad, 95% of what he said was complaints. But there were times where he said he was really proud of me. And this is like specific to like me going to get a college degree or something like that. Or I first started my professional career as an elementary school teacher. He was really proud of me for teaching in a public school. I can reflect back on those times he told me that I can kind of project it into the now and say, wow, I know that if my dad were able to pick up his smartphone and play with the grief refuge app, he would let me know probably through a text (laughs) that, that he was proud of me. And so that's how I redefine the relationship now.
0: And in that role of, of, of doing this more professionally, I was wondering, and I don't know if I could answer this question for myself, so I apologize. <laughs> this is a really hard question to consider. But wondering, are there ways in which what you know to be true professionally conflicts with what you know to be true from your lived experience, your own personal experience with grief? Like This is what it's supposed to look like on paper, but it's not, it doesn't show up or work that way for me in my real life.
1: I think it's an excellent question. It is difficult to answer. The first thing that comes to mind um, when I compare my own personal grief experiences to not necessarily what I say to others, but more of like the intention I hold for others is the word judgment. My hope and my intention when I support others is that when I hear people being self-critical or having self judgments I don't go in the direction of reframing. I just more help them understand where they may be a little bit hard on themselves. Uh, You know, for example, like, Oh, it's been seven months. I should be over this or, you know, the rest of the world's functioning. Why can't I as a, as a companion and a professional in this field, I hold that intention of that. But then when I look at my own personal grief process, I'm like, oh, okay, Reed, are you a hypocrite? Because the judgment's there. The self-criticism is there. I'm really hard on myself, especially when I'm grieving
0: yeah well thank you for answering that because that I now that I know that would be my answer too it's like it's so much easier to encourage others to give themselves space and grace for their feelings to show up how and when and how often and how long they're gonna show up for but that's really it's really really hard advice to internalize and um and sometimes I wonder if we put ourselves because we are grief quote unquote professionals maybe in a little bit of a different category of well, I should be able to figure this out because I have all this other information or this training or this personal and professional experience, but it doesn't work that way when it's our own grief showing up. So true. The other aspect that comes up for me working in this field as like suggestions or encouragement that I provide to others that's I hadn't really thought through completely is so often we're encouraging people to ask for help. You know, like it's okay to ask for help. It's a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. But I realize I don't spend enough time working with folks on how to respond or what to do when the people they ask for help from don't respond in ways that are helpful or supportive. Hmm.
1: That's a wonderful reflection. And I actually resonate. I've been chewing on some of my own thought in regards to that because I often, if I'm creating content, since I work a lot in the digital space of grief support, if I create content and there's recommendations to reach out to local hospice or an organization, such as the Dougie Center, to seek support, um, even a counselor, find a support group. Well, if it doesn't resonate with the individual who is in, who is in the grieving process, then what? Then what? And, and then that's where I kind of feel like, okay, there's room for more. I don't know what the answer of what is at this point. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to understand myself. But I I do make sure that I confidently say and I confidently communicate to someone in the grieving space that there are other people or there are other groups or there are organizations. There will be a good fit because a lot of people, when they feel hopeless, in regards to their own grief, they also feel hopeless that there's no support out there for them.
0: Yeah, a great reminder of if A doesn't work, there's other letters in the alphabet to reach out to and that not every letter can be what we need it to be in our lives. And you mentioned that you work a lot in the digital spaces. And let's talk about the app that you recently launched grief refuge.
1: Well, grief refuge was created to fill in the gap. And I'll share a little bit more about my story and answering what that means. When Warren, my stepfather, died in 2016, as I mentioned earlier, I felt a lot of sorrow. in In my local community, I did reach out to hospice and joined a bereavement support group at that time and also found an individual counselor. And so what was happening was one week I would join group. And then the next week, I would work with someone individually. Then, as I also said, I would talk to my mom almost nightly. I kind of went on this path, and I live near the ocean, so I spent a lot of time on the coast just walking the beaches and just pondering and reflecting and tapping into my sadness. I started feeling like there was something more that was needed. Truthfully, I wasn't specifically thinking only of myself at that time. I was thinking about the timing. I was like, oh, I'm in group with eight other people. Then, you know, I meet with my counselor the next week and I'm like, okay, if this all goes down on Tuesdays, what happens on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, Saturday, or Sunday? For me, I can continue to take walks or It was always recommended to journal. And so there was those opportunities, but it still felt lonely. It felt very lonely. And I remember in group mentioning this, and a lot of people in my group, they resonated. They said, yeah, I feel a lot of that loneliness too. When I made the decision that I wanted to support people in grief, I kind of looked at what was available, and I was like, well i don't know if i just want to start another support group or i don't know if i want to you know join or you know try to get employment or start another nonprofit i i'd like to take a unique angle into the grief space and at the time there was maybe only just a handful of grief support apps that i looked up and i saw and when i looked at them i thought oh a lot of these apps are what I would call social networking apps. So they would connect, like if you had a certain type of loss, they would connect you to someone else who had a quote-unquote similar type of loss. And then I was like, oh, what about about loss and grief from the inside out? The psychology of grief management, if you will. And so I started exploring how to provide that in the, the app space. That was the concept and how the idea was born for Reef Refuge. I had to do market research because when you make an app, it can be (laughs) quite costly. And so I was like, all right, I better find out if people really want something like this. The response was actually a lot more impressive than I thought. Uh, And receptive. I was trying to think of the right word, receptive. I went to work on kind of a concept design, came up with Grief Refuge. And I would say that in essence, Grief Refuge is another tool to help people cope with a death-related loss. It's focused on convenience, of course, because it's on your phone and we all know our phones are almost (laughs) attached to us these days. (laughs) And one of the things that I've gotten as feedback is that the app has a lot of audio As far as content on it and I narrate the audio and so a lot of people have said oh well what you produce and what you provide on the app really helps soothe my nervous system it really helps me just deal with a lot of anxiety in my grief process I kind of feel like that's more of the essence of what the app does and how it works
0: so if listeners are out there and they're picking up their phone right now and they are looking to download Grief Refuge. Can you give us a little like picture of what they'll find? I know you mentioned there's some audio resources, but like, what are the different components of it that listeners could take advantage of?
1: There's about, I'll, I'll, call, I'll call them features or sections of the app. Um, there's about seven of them. I, the one that produces these audio messages that are shared on a daily basis is the, I call it the daily refuge. It's more of like this meditative audio musing. And when someone listens to it, it just helps them reflect on their own personal experience. And a lot of the messaging from it, I share from a companion perspective, companion through through the training that I did with the Center for Loss and Life Transition as mentioned uh, earlier about psychology of grief management, it's it's really about helping the user just feel validated for a lot of what they're experiencing, feel validated for not feeling heard or seen, feeling validated for loneliness in their process. So th- that's really where a lot of energy is put into the app and a lot of intention, there is another section called reflections. And those are stories shared by people in the grief refuge community who have gotten to a certain place in their grief process where they feel like they're not necessarily focusing on the death of their loved one, as much as they're focusing on life moving forward. So I, you know, as a label, I would say They've gotten to a place of healing. They know that their grief isn't done or over. (laughs) They're they're not over it, of course. They're just at a place in life now where they recognize they can function and they have some tools, experiences to cope and manage when they experience the grief bursts or the grief waves of grief. Another section of grief refuge is called intentions. Intentions. And that section is really provided when someone is in such a strong grief burst or getting hit hard by a wave of grief where they need something to focus on. So there's almost like uh, little exercises for somebody to read through and perhaps put into practice. Another feature on the app is what's called my grief journey. And Every day, a user can go in and take a five-question self-assessment. And so for those of us who love numbers and hard data, this is your section. This is where you can say, okay, if I'm intending to track some kind of progress in my grief journey, this is where I do it. And so the numbers provide a quote-unquote score to help people see if today. They're showing progress in their grief, and I use that term lightly because, um, as a companion, I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I fully subscribe to like you know a linear progression. <laughs> um, in fact, I don't. It was kind of this fun feature for the people who love the numbers aspect to it. So there's a lot that Grief Refuge offers, and there's a lot that people can um, easily access when they need it.
0: So I realized the kind of the next question that was popping into my mind to ask you was like, what are the benefits of using technology in grief? And then I realized if we're sit in the context of where we've been for the last 18 months during the COVID-19 pandemic, there's a lot out there sort of vilifying or, I don't know, downgrading, downplaying the benefit of technology because people are so over having to use Zoom for school or Google Meets for meeting up with friends or work meetings, you know, there's just so much we've had to spend so much time digitally connecting with others. And so I wonder, I don't know, maybe if the answer you give about the benefits of digital technology would be the different or the same if I had asked you this like three years ago, but just kind of wondering what you think about that idea, especially given the context that we're in right now.
1: Yeah, the timing of the question is everything. The simple answer is the benefits of technology is the convenience of it because technology is now a part of us. And I wish I had more of like a, you know, a sage like answer to provide, (laughs) but I think that again, connecting with the timing of us discussing this right now, I'm going to go on on a limb Jana. I'll speak from my own experience. I've been married to my wife for 10 years and we love each other deeply and we have an amazing relationship. But with both of us working from home more frequently and having had this experience for a while, both of us have shorter fuses with one another. The assumption I'm going to communicate (laughs) and it's going to be forever. (laughs) It's immortalized in this conversation. (laughs) is that during pandemic times, a lot of people find themselves getting a little bit more annoyed with their immediate community within their household. So the fuse is shorter and therefore like going to your phone and looking at content, any type of content, wherever it is, in a way is like a coping mechanism in itself. It's it's almost like it's almost like a distraction from the huge going on in your household. And you kind of feel like you need that distraction because you just don't feel like you have a lot of space. So mentally, when, you know, I light up the home screen on my phone and I open something to look at, it's a headspace that provides a little bit more boundaries, you know, and it, it helps me distract myself from the outside world, in closing in on my inside world at this time. So I'm trying to fill my head with something, something that I find entertaining or something that I find meaningful, supportive, helpful, especially when grieving. So that comes up when I think of the benefits of technology right now.
0: Well, thank you for normalizing and validating my <laughs> obsession maybe with how many Instagram real videos of raccoons I've been watching in the last six to 10 months. I, mean, <laughs> I was like, I need to get outside a little bit more if I find myself snort laughing over some little raccoon trying to get through a doctor. door. But you know, I appreciate how you frame that of like, I need to take a little break from what's just happening day to day over and over, which I think grief itself can also start to feel monotonous over time, you know, at the beginning, it's so overwhelming, and everything feels foreign and unfamiliar. But then over time, I I hear people sort of like railing against the almost the drudgery of grief. And so to be able to go to the grief refuge app and have a different window into something that feels so everyday, same, same, same. I can imagine that being a, a huge benefit for people.
1: Thank you. And that's well said. And actually, if I may ask you, the monotony about the experience, I I resonate with that. And I think I hear more than not in a lot of people that I support individually, they say, I'm just so sick of feeling what I'm Mm -hmm. feeling. Mm -hmm. And my question to you, Jana, is, as in your professional experience, do you recognize the frequency or duration of that to be more during pandemic times? Or has it been fairly consistent throughout your whole professional experience.
0: I can't say that I recognize any kind of differentiation during the pandemic, but I'm also realizing it's been hard to remember anything that happened more than a month ago between like March 2020 and July 2021. I'm like, I don't know what happened. (laughs) It feels like it was just sort of went into the morass of, of COVID land. So I'd have to really think back to groups and conversations I've had with people but it seems like it's pretty much a constant from this place of protest of I just didn't I mean I know grief doesn't go away but I I kind of thought for me it would (laughs) you know like I can't believe I still have to deal with this one I can't believe that my mom is still dead and she's never coming back that sucks and two I just like really grief I got to deal with this again like I just this um Impatience uh, mixed with just frustration that I hear. And I feel like that's been pretty consistent from the whole 19 years that I've been doing this work. Thank you. So, Reed, you know, I know Grief Refuge just launched this past year and wondering, like, what are your hopes for it in the future? And what are ways for listeners to get connected to you and to the Grief Refuge app?
1: Well, I really appreciate you asking because the growth of Grief Refuge is really important to me because when I decided to say yes to making the grief refuge app, that actually wasn't my first priority. What I was really hoping for was to open up a grief refuge retreat center where adults could come spend three or four days. They would have the space to reflect and ponder and communicate with others I really hope Grief Refuge evolves to include that. I love what I'm doing and creating the content for the app and also voice narrating it. It actually means a lot to me when people contact me and say, hey Reed, your voice is really soothing. Thank you for making this app because it's really helping me. That is so meaningful. I'll take that over anything these days. But I had to go the route of the Grief Refuge app because of the pandemic. Because I I was like, I can't sit on an idea for a unique way to provide grief support for what I thought was going to be up to four years. And it looks like it could be heading in that direction. So I I said, I, I have to take action. And that's how the app got created. And so with the app itself, I hope that organizations such as the Dougie Center or mental health professionals, I hope that they say to whomever they're supporting, they say, you know, let's continue to do our work. And if you, de- if you need an additional tool, here's an app that can support you in this process. And, and that's really my hope and vision for the future.
0: Well, I look forward to hearing more about it and absolutely have to agree that your voice is very soothing. It's very nice to be on the other end of listening to it. And I know I had to chuckle out loud when a listener left a review for Grief Out Loud and, and said something like, Jana's voice is so calming and soothing. And I was like, yeah, I don't think any of my friends or family would ever have thought that would be what happened for me when I grew up. Um, but I can, I can imagine that yours has maybe uh, been this calming for quite a while. So thank you for sharing it. With those in grief and also with me today on the episode.
1: My pleasure, Jenna. Uh, Thank you for this wonderful learning opportunity. It's been great to talk to you.
0: And listeners, as always, I'll put in the show notes where you can connect with Grief Refuge app and also with Reed and some of his writings. So please check that out. And again, Thank you for being part of our listening community. This show would not mean what it does without you all tuning in. So thank you for sharing episodes with people who you think might be supported by them. Thank you for the emails that you send to me. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at griefoutloud at Dougie dot That's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. That's also our website where you can find all of our past episodes our free resources and learn more about uh, Dougie Center's work. So thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time.